All right. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Romans 1, 18 through 20. As you are turning there, I want to make one quick announcement that I forgot to make a little bit ago. Um, we are um, trying to get children's ministry started back. Um, we're needing some nursery volunteers, some children's church workers for Sunday morning and Wednesday night, trying to get the ball rolling on some of that. Um, so if you are interested in volunteering somehow, um, well, I got a sign-up sheet in the foyer on the table. So as you exit the foyer and look to the right, there's a table, there's a yellow notepad. If you can just write your name and your number down. Um, the only people that can volunteer for children's ministry is church members. Um, we do put a high um, kind of regard for people who are serving with minors. Um, you will have to undergo a background check and all that fun jazz. And so, um, but if you are a church member and you're interested in helping out with that so we can get this back going, um, just write your name down on a notepad in the foyer. Okay? Fantastic. All right, Romans 1, 18 through 20. If you're there, say word. Fantastic. Go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Let's pray. Father God, we need your help this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to the truth of your word. Help us to see your grace and your mercy as we look at your wrath. Help us this morning. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Y'all know we've got many babies in the congregation. We've got squirming children in the, in the congregation. As I say before every message, do not let it distract you. It is a blessing. Um, if you have a problem with it, um, there is a nursery back there for you. Um, <laughs> you can go sit in. I'm, I'm half kidding, <laughs> but no, really, uh, be gracious to the parents. Uh, they are doing the best that they can. And, um, all right. In Genesis one, we see the beginning of all things that is brought about by a creator, God. He created all things in six days and it was good. All right. If you've read Genesis 1 through 3, you know the creation account and even the fall of man. But in the Garden of Eden, a beautifully magnificent place, God has placed Adam and Eve to work and keep the garden. And it's within this garden that animal, beast, and God are in perfect harmony. God walks with man, God dwells with man, and man dwells with God. It's heaven on earth. We see that God creates all things to display His glory among all people. 
He created all things to worship him and to be in perfect fellowship with him. We see that in Genesis 1 through 3. That is that was the purpose of creation. God did not create us because he was lonely or because he was bored or because he needed anything. God is self-sufficient. If your God needs your worship, you have a false God. You are God. But God creates all things to glorify and to worship Him. Now, in the garden, Adam and Eve are given the command to work and keep the garden, to have dominion over it, to be fruitful and multiply, and to eat of every tree in the garden except for one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. However, one day as Adam and Eve were in the garden, a crafty little serpent comes about, Satan himself, who begins to question Eve and to even cause doubt in Eve's mind about what God was trying to do with that command. He starts off by saying, did God actually say? After the secret, after the secret, after the serpent explained to her that if they eat of it, that their eyes will be opened And they will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, after being told that, with the desire to not only be like God, but to be God of their own lives, Eve takes a bite. And then she passes it to Adam, who was with her, and he takes a bite. And then they realize their shame of being naked. So they sewed fig leaves together to try to cover their shame. And and then they go and hide in the garden. They hide from God. God's not the character to play hide and seek with. But God comes walking through the garden and he tries to give them a chance by calling out, Adam, where are you? And when they finally come out and make their appearance, they explain what happened and God casts them out of the garden. God who could have easily and rightly killed them on the spot for disobeying him, cast them out of the garden, out of his presence with curses of pain and childbearing and work in the ground. He curses the serpent to crawl on his belly. But Genesis 3.15, he makes a promise, a promise that one day, one, capital O, one will come, who will crush the head of the serpent as you bruise his heel. One day I will send a Messiah, the Savior of the world, who will crush your head. A promise. Today, as we continue our series on what is the gospel, I want to take a look at the difficult yet glorious doctrine of the wrath of God. Now, I wanted to share Genesis 1 through 3 kind of in that small recap just so that it can bring a little bit of a foundation to where we're going to be at with Romans 1.18. If we're looking at the wrath of God, we have to see why there is a wrath of God. God is righteously wrathful. But if we're looking at what is the gospel, we have to look at the gospel as good news because that's what the term gospel means. But in order for it to be good news, we have to understand the 
bad news, right? This is, this is not preached in many churches. We're not like many churches, praise God. Um, but this is not preached in many churches because it's just, it's a doctrine that even Christians wrestle with. Just the idea that God has a righteous anger. That if God is so loving, how can he have wrath? But if we want to look at the gospel as good news, we must see the bad news. For example, if, if your doctor were to call you today and say, Hey, there's a medicine out that will save your life. You should take it. Well, right off the bat, it's probably not good news to you, really, because you're kind of wondering, why do I need to take this medicine? Is there something you're not telling me? It's not good news for you unless there's bad news, right? So let's say the doctor instead calls you and says, hey, we just ran those exams for you. The results came back. We found an infection that's going to kill you. But we have a medicine that will kill that infection and will save your life. Then that medicine is good news. Church, in order for us to understand the good news, we must see the bad news. The gospel is good news, but if the gospel is only that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again so that you can live forever in heaven, that's only news. Because what is it that, that he came and lived and died for? What is it that we're being saved from? Because that's the question. What is the problem? The problem is that you and I, we, we have sinned. We have disobeyed God's law. We have rebelled against God and His glory. And through Adam's disobedience, sin has entered into the world. And now we, you and I, all of us, are born inherently sinful. All of us are born in need of a Savior. We're going to look more at that next Sunday as we look at the sinfulness of man. Today, I want to focus on God. The problem is that our sin deserves God's righteous wrath and judgment. Nahum 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries and keeps wrath for His enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of His feet. Psalm 7.11 says, God is a righteous God and a God who feels indignation every day. Indignation, a, an anger, a wrath, a fury. Why? Why does God have a wrath? Why does He have fury? It's because of sin and rebellion. Now, I'm not trying to paint a picture of a hateful God who is grouchy, who got poked and just not happy right now. I'm talking about a God who has a righteous anger. You and I, we don't always have righteous anger. We lash out. 
our temper gets the best of us. But God doesn't lash out. God has a righteous anger. This is a doctrine that some people have a difficult time with. They don't, they don't want to know that the creator of the universe has an anger and a hatred towards their sin. Why would a loving God be angry? Isn't God all about peace and flowers? Sunshines and daisies? I heard one pastor call it lucky charms and donuts or something. I mean, isn't that a God that we want? Somebody who is sweet and loving and We'll look over our sin. thing is, God can't. We must understand that, yes, God is love, but just as much as God is love, God is holy. God is not more love as He is wrath. When we look at God's attributes, we have to see that all of His attributes are perfect. So just as much love as God is, He is just as much wrath. Just as much wrath, He is just as much holy. In fact, His wrath is a response to His holiness. We've seen God's judgment and wrath throughout the Bible. We, we just saw it in Genesis 3 when, when God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. We see it in Genesis 6 when God sends the flood and destroys the world. We see it when David has his affair with Bathsheba and God takes the the child. We see God's wrath because of sin. We see God's wrath and judgment against Moses' sister. We even see it against Moses. Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land because he struck the rock too many times. We must see, church, listen, we must see that God's wrath is necessary and right and good. If God has no wrath against sin, hear me say this. I want you to hear this. If God has no wrath against sin, then there would be no need for the cross of Jesus Christ. If God has no wrath against sin. There will be no need for the cross of Christ. We see that the world is broken because of sin. When a city has, has an increase in crime and corruption, trust is placed in the judicial system to make things right. Put people behind bars, righteously uh, uh, sentence them, give them their just punishment, clean the streets up. What we see with the holy and righteous God is He has the intention to eradicate evil, to bring His kingdom so that one day there will be no more sin. This is our hope in a true, just, and righteous God. There's my introduction. Main idea. The wrath of God reveals our need for the gospel. The wrath of God, it reveals our need for the gospel. It's the bad news of the gospel. And Paul is trying to show that. He just got done telling us in Romans 1, 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And he tells us in verse 17 why he's not ashamed of the gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. 
In other words, in the gospel, it is God who is sending his righteousness, imputing his righteousness to lost sinners who put their faith and trust in him. But Paul is also not ashamed of the gospel because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Let's break these three verses down. Ready? Number one, the wrath of God reveals the holiness of God. The wrath of God reveals the holiness of God. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We see that God has a reason for his wrath. His wrath is against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now those two words there, ungodliness, is your sin and rebellion and disobedience against God. Ungodliness. That's what that is. The first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. That, that is that is ungodliness. You breaking those four commandments is you being ungodly. All right? That's what that's looking at. We have damaged our relationship with God because of our sin. God has a righteous hatred towards ungodliness. And the second one is unrighteousness. That is the last six commandments of the Ten Commandments. That is the sin that you have committed against each other. Which is in response to your rebellion against God. God has a wrath of that. His wrath reveals His holiness. God is perfect and just and righteous and holy. And and He can't have anything to do with sin. When He created the world, it was perfect and good. Nothing had infiltrated it until Adam and Eve disobeyed. They messed up the order. They disrupted the Imago Dei. They've they've tainted it. They didn't erase it. It's not gone. But they've now brought sin into the world to where now we are born broken and helpless and hopeless and sinful and in need of a Savior. Because God is holy. I'd like to recommend R.C. Sproul's little book, The Holiness of God. We can do a year's worth of series on this. There have been books and books written about the holiness of God. But what we need to get across to this, what we need to get from this, is that because God is holy and can't have anything to do with sin, we we are separated from Him. We cannot be in the presence of God. Uh, Hebrews 10, 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God because of our sin. John Stott tells us his wrath is his holy hostility to evil, his refusal to condone it or come to terms with it, his just judgment upon it. The wrath of God reveals the holiness of God. I love my wife and kids. I would do anything for them. I would jump in front of a bullet for them. I would run into the burning house for them. 
I would not do much for our dogs, but for them, I'll do anything. See, what y'all judging me right now? If, if anybody were to hurt my family, were to offend them, say anything wrong to them, it, 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 it gives me an anger because of my love for them. You, you don't mess with my family. Thankfully, nobody has because I don't know what I'd be capable of doing. I'd probably start a prison ministry. But when we see the holiness of God, we see that He has created a people for Himself. Even in creation, all things belong to Him. And sin has come in and has caused rebellion and offense to Him. So of course He's going to have a righteous anger towards that. Because He is holy. Wrath of God reveals the holiness of God. Number two, not only does the wrath of God reveal the holiness of God, it also reveals the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of sin. We, listen, we, we, Owen Strand tweeted something the other day, something along the lines of of it becoming more common for Christians to think that holiness is a fundamentalist idea. Church, we are called to be holy and to put sin to death. We are called to live a life of repentance and we are called to take sin seriously. Look at what Paul says in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I heard one pastor put it, put, put it this way. Have you ever been in a swimming pool and you had a beach ball? And you try to push it underwater, try to see how far down you can get it, and you hold it down, and you keep pushing that. That's suppressing it. That's wrestling with it, holding it. Do y'all not do that? Am I the only one that does that? That is weird. I thought everybody did that. But you, you push the ball down. You're wrestling with it. You, you can't. We used to have a competition when I was lifeguard at Oakbridge Swim Club to see who can get these, these inflatable balls down to the bottom of the pool. It was impossible. Couldn't do it. You're, you're, you're wrestling with it. That's what, that's what unrighteous people are doing with the truth of God. They are suppressing it. They're, they're denying it. They're holding it down. They're wrestling it. What truth is it, though, that Paul's talking about? who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The truth that is found in verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. They are in complete denial that there is a God. When we live a life of sin, we are denying God's existence. And we are denying his rule and reign and we're denying his supremacy because we think that this is better. Church, the wrath of God reveals the seriousness of sin. These unrighteous people, they're suppressing that truth. They're denying the reality that there is a God and God has revealed it to them. How? Creation. 
Look out your door. How, how can you deny that there's a creator? Norman Geiser wrote a book one time called, um, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Because it seems to take more faith to believe that nothing created this, that we have come from nothing, than it takes to believe that some sovereign being created all things. The wrath of God reveals the seriousness of our sin. God has a righteous anger and He wants to destroy it. He wants to kill it. Isaiah 59.2 But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Your sins have separated you from you and your God. They have built a wall. Your sin has made it to where you cannot be in God's presence. Romans 3.18 There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is, this is what we're seeing with these unrighteous people who suppress the truth. There's no fear of God before their eyes. John Stott says they have made a decision. These people who suppress the truth, they have made a decision to live for themselves rather than for God and others and therefore stifle any truth which challenges their self-centeredness. They've rejected God. Even though there's plenty of evidence showing that there is one. So number two, the wrath of God reveals the seriousness of sin. Number three, not only does it reveal the seriousness of sin, it also reveals our accountability to God. We are held accountable to Him. Why is it that God would have an anger towards how I live my life? Why is it okay that God has a hatred towards my choices of what I want to do? Because he's God and I'm not. And because he created me. And he created me to glorify and to worship him. And if I'm going to be in denial, if I'm going to be in rejection of the truth that he is there, we are held accountable to him. Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. We are held accountable to God. Church, those last few words of verse 20 should spark an urgency in us. We've asked this question before here at Red Cross, and the question is this. What happens to those people who die and have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Never even heard the name. Never had a chance. What happens to those people? Verse 20 says, They are without excuse. When they stand before a holy and righteous God, their ignorance of the gospel 
will not get them into heaven. Church, that should break our hearts. Because we are too complacent to share the gospel. We are too complacent to go to other countries. We are too comfortable in our own salvation that we neglect to even think about those who have never even heard the name of Jesus. And you're probably sitting here thinking like, that's not true. Surely God would give them a second chance. If that's the case, what David Platt says, the worst thing you can do is ever share the gospel with them. If they're going to go to heaven because they've never heard it, then why even share the gospel in the first place? The wrath of God reveals our accountability to God. We are held accountable to God because He is creator. He is holy. He is righteous. He is sovereign. He is king. He is God. He's our owner. He owns us. We are dependent on Him. And He deserves all glory, honor, and praise. We are accountable to Him because we have disobeyed Him. Tell you what, when I disobeyed my parents, I had to be held accountable to that. And that accountability hurt sometimes. <laughs> it did. I had to answer for my disobedience to my parents. You go ahead and ask them. They'll tell you stories. But imagine being held accountable to the sovereign God of the universe who has made himself known. Verses 19 and 20 are talking about a general revelation. We got general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is where God has shown himself in creation. But understand this, general revelation is not sufficient to save. But the word does say that if you seek me, you will find me. So those who are sincere, when they finally realize that a creator has created the world and they seek God... If they are seeking the God of this Bible, they will find Him. But we have special revelation. This is special revelation. Where God has revealed Himself to us in His Word. To where we see that it is through creation that we are held accountable to our sin. We are, we are without excuse when we stand before Him. You're probably wondering, where is this going? <laughs> is there any hope? When we see the wrath of God in Scripture, we see that it is being revealed from heaven. When we look at the, in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed, actually the Greek could be translated, is being revealed, as in constantly. How? God's wrath is revealed by His judgment on people. We see that within the world. God's wrath is revealed even later in this text where God gave them up in their lusts. God gives people over to their sin. I think it was Jonathan Edwards who talks about how, how we see the wrath of God as, as this water. And then you see the grace of God as this dam. But eventually, one day, God's going to let that dam go. 
and the wrath of God will pour over. So where's the hope? Wrath of God's being revealed. The greatest display, the greatest revealing of the wrath of God, number four, is through His grace on the cross of Jesus Christ. Church, let me, let me say that again. The greatest revealing of God's wrath is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is on that cross where God's wrath is satisfied. 1 John 14, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I like that word, propitiation. It's one of my favorite words. Propitiation, halasmos in Greek. I just wanted to make you think I was smart. Propitiation means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. A payment that satisfies the wrath of God. As the perfect sacrifice for our sin, what Christ does on the cross is He turns away God's wrath and places it on Himself. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. 20 verses later in John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In Romans 5, 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. In church, this is God who deserves to give us His wrath, who is sending His Son to save us from His wrath. That is grace. So the, the wrath of God that is being revealed against all godliness, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men is displayed on the cross. When the Son of God, the sinless, spotless Savior, takes the sin of the church and nails it there and suffers and dies for them. Church. The wrath of God reveals that we need the gospel, but the wrath of God points to the cross. Jesus has taken every ounce of wrath that every believer would ever encounter. You now will no longer experience condemnation. Now, the Bible does say you might experience discipline. That's different. We've been trying to use that language with our kids. We're not punishing you, we're disciplining you. We're correcting you. But you're not receiving punishment. That's grace. That's love. And we don't deserve that. We deserve God's wrath. But He freely, He freely gives us Christ. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. So there's that God's wrath portion. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So let me close by saying this. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you've realized that you deserve the wrath of God because you're a sinner like the rest of us in this room, will you turn to Jesus this morning? Will you do it today?
I'll be here. This time of invitation, come down, come talk to me or grab somebody else in the, in the church that you may trust more than me and talk with them. But let's, let's get that right. You may be a believer here this morning. And you just needed to be reminded of the grace of God. You might be wrestling with some kind of sin. Will you take the time during our invitation to put that sin to death by repenting of it, giving it to Christ, and walking with Him in holiness? Why is it that we would want to live and do and find pleasure in the things that killed our Savior because of God's wrath. Let's put our sin to death and let's focus on Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for who you are. We're thankful for your grace. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work within us this morning. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.